Peace of our Lord be with you. We do not lose heart. With that brief, beautiful declaration, Paul launches into the part of today's epistle lesson in which he compares the pain of this life with the joy of the next life. The struggles and pressures of the life we can see with the relief and rest of the life we cannot see, which one imagines explains Paul's description of our present sorrows and struggles as slight and momentary. We do not lose heart, he says in this morning's epistle lesson, for this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for a weight of glory beyond all measure. The same struggles and pressures which we find crushing and long, Paul calls momentary and slight. But the hardest and worst disappointments and struggles of this life are momentary and slight compared only to the life which awaits us beyond death over on the other side. Compared to the life we expected to have in this world, compared to the life we hoped to have, wanted to have, assumed we would have, on this side of the grave, our present afflictions and disappointments are anything but slight and momentary. To the contrary, they really are sometimes heartbreaking, life-changing, and long. And the church should be the first place on earth, not the last, where you expect to hear that said out loud in response to Paul's affirmation that our struggles are momentary and slight. They may be slight and momentary compared to the life which awaits us on the other side but they are anything but slight and momentary compared to the life we planned, dreamed, imagined, thought, assumed would be ours. Earlier this morning, 
I went out to the columbarium as I do almost every Sunday morning and read again as I do almost every Sunday morning those now 23 names engraved in marble stone. Whatever struggles and sorrows they faced in this life compared to what they are experiencing now are, I am sure, momentary and slight. But when they were going through them and living with them, they were anything but momentary and slight. To the contrary, they were heavy and hard and, and felt as though they would never end. Earlier this morning, when Brock and Laura brought Helen and Tate over to my office to meet with Leslie and myself to prepare for Tate's dedication, I showed Helen a picture I had been looking at earlier this morning. It's a picture of my grandparents on my father's side, both of them long dead, a family which suffered a crippling degree of poverty in the 19 20s and 30s and 40s. Not because my grandfather couldn't work, but because he wouldn't work. A very strong and healthy man physically who just would not work. And so my family a generation ago was the family to whom the church brought the clothes and the food at Thanksgiving and Christmas. Not gladly or happily, but with much resentment because everybody in Kite, Georgia knew that they were in need, not because my grandfather couldn't work, but because for reasons that we will never know, he just wouldn't. And all of that embarrassment and humiliation, worse than the poverty itself, affected my grandparents and my dad and his four sisters in ways that transcended the generations. Well, now, they're all just a picture in a frame. They're a story in a sermon. So of course, of course, <laughs> All that struggle and sorrow is slight and momentary compared to all the wonder and joy of life over on the other side. But when it was happening, when they were going through it and living with it, it was anything but 
slight and momentary, nothing that is heartbreaking and hard is slight and momentary when you're going through it and living with it. And the church ought to be the first place on the planet, not the last, where you expect to hear that said in response to Paul's hope-filled affirmation that our present afflictions are slight and momentary compared to, compared to the eternal weight of glory which awaits us. It is only after we have sat with all of that that we are ready to embrace the hope and joy of the better place. In one of Jaber Crow's novels, the grieving woman meets the funeral preacher at the door and says, don't you come in here telling me nothing about how he's in a better place. I need him here and he's gone. Sometimes in the church, we want to rush people through their grief, hurry everybody along. Sometimes it is better and best, and it is always more true and honest to sit with the pain, own it, name it, embrace it, let it be as deep as it is. It is which we can do and not be afraid. The church may be the only place in the world where we can do that and not be afraid because we are also people of incurable hope. That's what sets us free to live as deeply and truthfully as we need to and should into the real pain of life. We don't have to hurry up and say, it's not so bad. It's just a slight momentary affliction. We don't have to hurry up and say that. We can sit with the pain as long as we need to because we are those people of incurable hope who do believe and know that ultimately it will be God, not suffering and pain and struggle and disappointment and despair, but God who will have the last word. And ultimately, on the other side, there will be rest and relief. We really are what Barbara Johnson famously called Easter people living in a Good Friday world. It is a very Good Friday world where the innocent suffer and there is much pain 
and death will come to all of us. And in that Good Friday world, we are those Easter people who have this incurable hope within us. We, we have been so formed by the church that we wouldn't know how to stop hoping if we tried to. We are people of incurable hope who believe that ultimately, yes, ultimately, absolutely, the struggles of this present life will prove to have been slight and momentary compared to life over on the other side, which is what sets us free to be the most truthful place of all about the deepest pain of all. Because we are those people who believe that ultimately God is going to have the last word. And if the last word said is going to be God's, then the last thing done is going to be good. Amen.